Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, folks. Anthony Taylor here, and this is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, where we interview amazing people in the world of strategy and leadership development to get their best practices and learn more from them. And today, I'm very excited to welcome back my guest, Micah Lawrence, who is a team development and leadership coach. Micah, how are you? I'm doing great, Anthony. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Oh, it has been a while, Micah, but I'm so excited to be able to chat, to be able to catch up, to learn what you've been up to over the past you know, year and a bit. I don't know how long it's been, but one of the cool things that, that I love about this profession is you get to follow people. You get to see how their practice grows as in how they grow as individuals and how they grow in their work. And then, you know, every year you get so much better because you get to work with so many different teams. So why don't we start off with what have you been keeping busy with over the past year and a half in terms of your professional work? Yeah, well, a, a lot has changed since the last time we talked. If you remember, I was doing, I was working for a Fortune 100 company doing strategic planning, facilitation, and coaching. So a lot of what I've done since then has been to transition into owning my own business. So I quit my corporate job since then and started doing leadership coaching and team development workshops just as my own business. So a lot of what I do hasn't actually changed it's who I do it for. So rather than doing it for a corporation, I'm doing it for a lot of small businesses and startups. Cool. And what have you found to be the, is there a central theme to all of that, a central challenge, a central opportunity that has transcended the difference between Fortune 100 and SMEs? More than anything, it seems like maybe just scale. Well, I would say two things. Scale, just the size of the organization is so different for small businesses than it is for corporations. And so they're thinking about corporations are usually thinking about incremental change while small businesses are thinking about growth and scale. And so in a six month period, I could do a workshop and they're a team of 30 people and come back six months later and it's doubled in size. So that, that I would say is one, the scale, but then I also think that what's at stake for corporations versus small businesses is different. When I work with small business owners and their teams, it's the energy is so high and it's different the way that they approach a workshop like I do where we're working on team relationships and team performance, because to them, it's like do or die. 
we've got to make this work so that we can see the growth that we want. So we all have a job in a year and you don't feel that in a corporation. There's no urgency. There's not as much energy. They all know the company's going to be there uh, for the next five, 10, 15 years. So that is actually really refreshing. I've really enjoyed that. It's a sort of interesting perspective that you say that because you know, when you go in those workshops with SME, so obviously SME strategy, we work with small and medium enterprises and it's it's so apt what you said is that the the CEO or the business owner has so much on the line, but then the people in the enterprise, because they can have such varying degrees of, I'll call it organizational competency and even like psychologically mm. safety within their teams, like life yeah. could be like a degree from terrible to like pretty good or great. But a lot of the times <laughs> it's somewhere in between that, they're like, oh man, if work doesn't get better from here, like I might be looking for a new job or if it gets a lot worse, I'm going to have to look for a new job. And again, yeah. there's like, like dozens of people's lives and livelihoods, like on that the table. Be scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be exciting. scary. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation because they find it exciting and they they think it's interesting. Something you said too, just made me realize I, I did spend in my corporate role, I spent a very small amount of time doing team development workshops where most of the time I was think we were going through strategy exercises. That's actually very much what we talked about the last time I came on your podcast was kind of this this target state or strategy deconstruction process. And and then I would kind of build in some team development using the Clifton Strengths Finder tool from Gallup. And th- what's happened since then is I've swapped that. I do very little of the strategic planning part. And most of the time, what people are uh, hiring me for is to come do the team development and the team performance workshops because of, you just use the term psychological safety. It's so much has happened with the pandemic. Some people want to stay uh, remote full-time. Some people want to come back to the office. Most people are trying to figure out some hybrid situation and they're trying to figure out like, what is our new team dynamic and what is the culture at our organization mm. as we've gone through this unprecedented event? And so that's actually, it's interesting to me. I've always loved strategy and I like the facilitation, but I get so much joy out of the the team development side of things and helping teams figure out like how do we work better together as a team and understand one another so that the relationships are there, the psychological safety is there, and then ultimately the performance is there as a team. So you use the word deconstructed. So we had like looking at the level of organization and then obviously within the individuals there, and then we're looking at the level of business and then teams and individuals. What about for our our CEOs, our, our senior leaders, but let's say business owner CEOs for the sake of it, because they want to be able to elevate their leadership teams. They want to be able to, you know, what we call give them the capacity to implement their strategy. Why yeah. is a tool like the Clifton Strengths Finder or others, but we're going to talk about the Strengths Finder for now. How can yeah. CEOs use that for them to I want to say enable how they can be better by recognizing their strengths as well as their shortcomings. And then how can they use that within their teams? Yeah. Awesome. Oh man. I could, I mean, we can go, we could go a lot of directions with this, but I'll start with two, two thoughts that come to mind for one. I know I've worked with enough leaders, CEOs, and founders to know that there is always this comparison happening. You, you are uber aware of the leaders around you, within your company and outside of your company, in your competition and within your own circles. And it can be really tempting for leaders to see what they like about other leaders 
or compare themselves to what they see in other leaders and maybe be tempted to mimic that themselves. Well, this worked for that person or this worked for that person. So maybe I'll try that too with my company. What something like the Clifton Strengths tool does is that we dig into people's or leaders, very specific talents, the top strengths of the things that come most naturally to them that they could leverage as an asset in their leadership style. So some of it is just by knowing yourself deeply and increasing your self-awareness through a tool like the Clifton Strengths, you start to become the best leader you can be. You start you start to realize that if you were to mimic uh, what has worked for other leaders, it won't work for you because it, it comes across as forced or it's not genuine and people can feel that. And so if you're a transformational leader and you try to become a servant leader or you're a really behind the scenes servant leader and you try to pretend to be a transformational leader, like that doesn't work. And so what I help people do is find your identity as a leader first by talking about these are the strengths that come most naturally to you. Lean into those things. Don't try to be like other people. The second thing that I think I just held up three fingers. The second thing <laughs> that that's really helpful to think about is there's a, I mean, everybody, I, I would guess everybody in your audience has read the book, Good to Great. That just, that made the rounds a few, a few years ago and probably still does. But uh, in Good to Great, they talk about putting the right people in the right seat on the bus. And that's what the Clifton Strengths allows people to do too, is uh, once I've had conversations with leaders, we extend the conversation to their leaders and ultimately to their teams. And as you look at the team strengths as a whole, and so I have software that I use that will kind of model where people's strengths lie and how they compare to one another. And having kind of an objective way to look at this is what comes naturally to people and this is how you differ from one another. All of a sudden, that idea of putting the right people in the right seat becomes a practical application of something like this tool where you can say, uh, I have a leader over here that's a very logical data-driven thinker and they're gonna be really great at leading the data side of things. But then I have another leader over here who has very heavy relationship building strengths. And when you can see it objectively like that, you, you can understand like, mm, I need to put this leader with my people that need a mentor and need coaching if they're the relationship building leader. And I might want to use my logical data-driven leader to, to track metrics and do some of the behind the scenes, like are we making progress in the areas that we expect to make progress for our business? And all of a sudden you can be really strategic and intentional about how you use your team, especially when you're a small team and people have to wear different hats. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got so many different metaphors, so I'm going to just riff for a bit on what you shared. So a couple of them was cool. the, the word tempting. It's like tempted is like you're being pulled away. Anytime you're tempted, you're pulled away from your core, which means like yeah. sometimes it's good, but sometimes it takes you away from like that solid ground, which isn't ideal. The other Love was yep. this idea of like the flow state is that when you're in your ideal strength zone, work is easier, work is more in flow. You know, as a CEO, when you're like, I hate yes. this. <laughs> yes. And it goes extra for your people because they might not always have, at least my perception, I love your thoughts. They might not always have the tools or sophistication of wherewithal to understand why something is the bad kind of challenging because they're not yes. in their strength zone. It's fair to say? Oh my gosh, that's spot on. And a lot of people have taken this, the Clifton Strengths assessment and they think that when you get your results, it's saying, oh, you'll be good at these activities 
because you have these strengths. And there is some truth to that. You are more likely to be good at certain activities because you have strengths that align with those activities. And that's where some of that job fit comes from or being on the right seat of the bus. And, but there's, it's more than that. It's that when you're doing activities that align to your strengths, you're, you're easier, it's easier to get into a state of flow and it gives you energy instead of draining you of energy. And that's what you're talking about. That is so true of the Clifton strengths. Like I think about you and I were talking about your strengths before we started recording and you have high strategic and high futuristic. And the, these two together are very much future looking strengths, futuristic in particular, people with high futuristic are dreamers. Like they love to think about what the, what the world could be like, or what is possible in the future. And they have a vivid vision of what that could be. And so as leaders, their job is to kind of explain that to other people who don't have high futuristic and bring them along so they can see it too. Generally, those two strengths, strategic and futuristic, fall under this domain or category of strengths called strategic thinking, which kind of makes sense. Strategic is, is in there. But the strategic thinking domain is very different from one of the other domains, which is called executing. And in the executing domain, this is like get stuff done kind of people. They love to be productive. They don't necessarily want their head in the clouds. They want to be boots on the ground getting stuff done because that feels good. Somebody with high executing strengths has a checklist and nothing is better. Nothing makes them happier than seeing that checklist checked off. Whereas you're probably not that person. You've had to be, I'm sure, in certain roles in the past where you can execute out of necessity. But when push comes to shove, if you're given a choice, you're going to choose the dreaming and the thinking about the future and strategizing where we go, not necessarily taking on the tasks like I'm going to do this day-to-day work. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I feel a little bit like on blast because I'm like, oh, no, I can do everything. But the thing is that as a CEO, you cannot do everything and you can't do everything well. And my my coach today said, hey, you know, like when you're at that sort of like $10 million range, which not where we are, but that's not the point, is that you're mm-hmm. going from taking like a 50 person ship to bringing it to like 150 person ship. And it's like, yeah. as a, you don't want to relinquish the control. You can't do everything. <laughs> you can't do everything. And then the right seats on the bus sort of analogy, and because it's used all the time, it's sort of like a conceptual thing. Like, okay, everybody's on the bus. And fundamentally, there's either the driver or everybody in the back seat. But what I yeah. hear out of what you're saying is like, it's like, who's making the bus? Because if you have somebody or how do you get the most value from your people? If you've got somebody who's an executor, put them in a role where they're going to thrive in executing. If you've got somebody who's good with people, put them in a role where they're great with people, which makes tons of sense when you think about it from a capabilities driven org chart. But I think sometimes people lose sight of that when you start getting into more like project management. It's like, how can you get the most value out of your people? Not like squeezing them, but like they're successful. And that's why it's so critical to understand how the intricacies, those second, third, and fourth strengths, as well as the bottom five weaknesses, put them in roles to be successful, but you have to think about it. And thinking about it takes its own mindset to be able to like build that team, not just throw everybody in a seat. Oh yeah. You got it. Yeah, you got it. And, and something you said, just the idea that, um, and I, and I've worked with enough, enough leaders that, that have this like confidence in themselves. It's part of what makes them business owners, why they've even had the courage to step out on their own because they, they do know that they can do anything. And that's kind of not the point you can do all of it. 
and you probably have, you've shown that in the past, but when you are doing things that are aligned to your strengths, you're going to be more efficient, more effective, and you're going to love it more. And that's where you get the best out of people. So you may have a project manager that has zero executing strengths. You know what? That's, this was me. I started my career doing project management. And it's like, I, there are very few, that's a very execution driven role. And yet most of my strengths are in a category called influencing strengths, not executing strengths. In fact, I think, I don't think I have any executing strengths in my top 10 strengths. So what's crazy is I was a really great project manager, but I used what strengths came naturally to me. I didn't try to be like the other executing project managers who did the work themselves. I used my influencing strengths to get the right people in the room to talk things out, to communicate a plan because that's what I was good at. And then they did the work, but I influenced the people that needed to get the work. So part of this is that you may have people that have strategic thinking strengths like Anthony who are doing execution roles. And if you just give them the freedom to figure out, don't, don't try to be an executor if that's what isn't natural for you, but use the strengths you've got to do the outcomes or to achieve the outcomes that we would expect from somebody in an execution role. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And what it made me think of it is, I, I, I don't know, it's like, you can't stop nature. So if you think of like UX, like user experience, and we had yeah. Chewy Chewy on the podcast, you know, if like you've seen that there's a road here and then people will take the grass path because it's nature. Nature will beat everything all day. And so even if you put somebody in a role and say, these are your responsibilities, they're going to do it their way. Like you can't stop them because that's micromanagement. It's not effective. And so a good leader, especially as you grow, scale, build your team, but even in larger capacities is find a way to leverage people's skills so that they can be the most successful and don't get fixated on the how, at least my perception, probably because I'm a futuristic thinker, don't get fixated <laughs> on the how, get like focus on, on the outcome, because all you really care about is the outcome. Otherwise it's going to yes. be a grind. Yes. But it's also, you just said you, you can't because of nature, you can't change nature. You can't make people do it a certain way. That's actually more an indicator of your, your being a good leader than being a futuristic thinker, because there are lots of leaders who don't have that philosophy. And they do try to make people do it their way. And I've worked with leaders who I've worked for leaders who didn't understand that my way of doing things would work because they thought, well, this is how I would do it. And I want you to go do it that way. So for one, I think that's a testament to your leadership style is the true, the truly important thing is the outcome and skills can be taught. Skills and strengths are not the same thing. Somebody can learn skills that have nothing to do with their strengths and still be good at their job. But when you let them leverage their strengths to achieve the outcomes in combination with their skills, that is a powerful freedom that they have and flexibility that they have to do what you need them to do, the outcomes you need them to do, but with the strengths that come naturally to them. I really want to leverage, like talk about freedom, of course, now, because the like changing flow of work with like remote workforces where people have like even less command and control. What I found interesting, you know, out of leading strategic planning sessions and, and sometimes having that experience where it's like the consultant or Anthony or Jenna is telling us to do it this way is that like sometimes we'll brainstorm action items and say, okay, like this is an initiative. 
they're going to change it. Like I can't force anybody to do anything. And that's why I find it so sometimes challenging where it's like, oh, well, you're not going to do the work you're not interested in doing. Even if it's on the plan, you're going to do the work that you gravitate towards. So having that, you know, adaptability wherewithal to understand some people are going to deviate from the plan naturally because the way it was designed is contrary to how they would go about it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I, I definitely have because I'm I'm a consultant now too. And and so when I go into organizations and we have this, I can't I've never had a workshop that didn't have aha moments for members of the team. In fact, I've in almost every case, someone will tell me, like the leader who hired me will tell me this person or this person will be quiet and don't worry about it. It's just like that, that's kind of their way. And those are often the people that speak up the most when we start talking about these these strengths in people, because it doesn't just explain how they work. It explains who they are. And and sometimes these people that are generally quiet or feeling disgruntled or not listened to all of a sudden, when I'm explaining these strengths that describe them, they're feeling heard like this guy knows me. And so they start speaking up. They start asking questions. So. It definitely resonates with people when you're in the moment. And so what I've started to do is I ask for a volunteer by the end of the workshop, somebody that I call the strengths champion, because what we're working toward is a strengths-based culture. And that doesn't happen because of one workshop. It happens over six months, one year, three years before it's really a part of somebody's culture or an organization's culture. And that strengths champion is just somebody that will keep the group accountable for implementing new routines, really just forming new habits as a team around the language of strengths or leveraging one another's strengths and keeping that top of mind so that they're more likely to implement something useful. Uh, that's That's been the most success I've been able to have is when I can have multiple sessions where we start with one, we learn the concepts, we give the recommendation and the solutions, but then the team implements over the next six weeks to three months. And then I come back and we do a retrospective. We, we talk about like, how did this go over the last three months? Something about that second workshop, even if it's much shorter and it's just a check-in, that accountability that they know that's coming in six weeks or three months, something about that helps drive change in an organization. So that's what comes to mind. That's something that I've used that I think would be a way to increase the likelihood of implementation success. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to say this and like, normally I'm pretty diplomatic, which I'm just going to say this is like, for those of you like paying for consulting, whether you're paying me, whether you're paying Mike or you're paying somebody else, pay for the additional accountability support, pay for the follow-up because you're going to get more of an investment. And it's like, it looks like more money up front. It's less money in the long term because you're actually getting better ROI, which is And from my personal experience, it's kind of hard to say in sales calls because you're not going to, or a call where we're talking about an option for somebody, it's harder to do because it's like, I'm asking you for more money at that point in this podcast, in the context of the podcast, I'm, I'm always strictly focused on results, but you're going to get better results. If you pay more money, it's just going to be more money. Yeah. And that, that it's like, this is why diets work and work and exercise works when you hire a personal trainer, because somebody's going to be calling you or sending you a text or asking you in a week, like, how did you eat last week? And it's like, oh man, that's on their mind all week long. And that's why having an accountability partner works. And that needs to be the person that you're hiring as a consultant, because that external accountability is so powerful. 
Yeah. I wanted to say something earlier when we talked about the strengths finder just as a whole and, and strengths based tests. And I was talking to somebody on my team the other day about the difference between process and performance is that for mm. anybody listening to this call, for you listening to this call or whatever, you might be able to be copying and replicating some sort of process. But just like, you know, Michael Jordan playing basketball and me playing basketball, we're both playing the same game. We're doing the same process, but the execution of it is so different. So what I really want you to take away from what Mike is sharing today is really like, look at incremental little changes in performance because like you would adjust a golf swing or whatever, just because you're doing a strengths finder test does not mean you're implementing it at the same degree as a professional would, or you're not implementing it at the same degree as a different type of CEO, not from a comparison standpoint, but as a, a way to reflect on incremental improvements using the same framework. Mike, any thoughts on yeah. that? On like, Oh just yeah. I mean, yeah, I love that. I mean, it's really, a, it's a philosophy. It, more than anything. And the the process is something that you define for your organization. That's kind of the challenge and the beauty of it. it what you design for implementing something like a strengths-based culture, and even just as a leader, you don't have to implement it across your company. You just do it yourself and have that perspective about your people. When you start seeing people in their moment of flow or their moment of strength, you start to recognize like, man, that this guy is really good at this. And this gal is really good at this. And I'm recognizing that what they're great at, other people stink at. And what they stink at, other people are great at. And I have a strengths-based perspective that is tailored to my organization and the people in it. The process I define based on my organization, but the philosophy of strengths-based development, that's kind of what I'm what I'm preaching in a sense that, that people should be considering for their organization. But like you said, the process is not going to be the same for everybody, but the philosophy can be. It actually made me think of where this originated. Don Clifton was the guy that first started this. And it was from decades of research, just studying what made people successful. And he found that of all of the strengths on this list, there were crazy successful people in, in one business where they used like three or these three or four strengths. And that's all they leveraged, their top strengths. Whereas somebody else was successful with an entirely different set of strengths. And if we felt like people had to model success or follow a formula to, to success by using one, two, and three strengths, that would be false because people find success by leveraging what they're best at, not by following a formula. And most companies for decades followed a deficiency-based development approach to performance where you sit down with your people and you say, okay, well, you're a really great presenter. So we're not going to develop that skill in you anymore, that strength in you anymore. These are the things you suck at. And we're going to develop those things in you. And what that does is it, it limits their potential in the areas that they have a lot of potential. You, if you focused on what they're great at already, they could be world-class as a presenter and speaker, but because you're going to focus on their deficiencies, you miss that opportunity to meet that potential. And what you're doing is you're building a team of mediocre people. Everybody's well-balanced. Everybody's well-balanced across the skills that are important to you, the strengths that are important to you, but nobody's excellent. Whereas if you lean into people's strengths and really develop what they're best at, then you have not, not well-balanced people, but a well-balanced team of people who are excellent at their own things. Mm. 
Yeah, it makes me think of the the first part you said. Uh, Einstein's quote is, "You can't judge a fish's intelligence by its ability to climb a tree." To climb a tree, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and it, it's so true. Like you can't gauge everybody on the same thing. John Maxwell says, "You're strong in your strengths, you're weak in your weaknesses," which is super obvious, uh, but also intelligent because it's simple. And then from a senior leadership perspective and a CEO is find people better than you. Like I'm a good marketing guy. I hope that my mark and I, my poor marketing guy who has to listen to me all day. Sorry, Jason, <laughs> you know, and, and I, finding somebody that's better than me in marketing, find somebody better than you in finance, find somebody better than you in operations. Everybody on your team should be better yeah. than you, but that doesn't happen overnight. It's hiring, it's training, it's development, it's opportunities. And it's also like fostering people in your team to yeah. grow them up. So final thoughts on uh, building up leadership capacity around you and then how can people uh learn more about what you're working on and get in touch with yeah that that is such a that was such a good segue your last comment to just the last thing i'd like to say which is i've worked with a lot of leaders who felt like if you it felt like they needed to be good at everything and that they needed to hide the fact that they're not they don't want to be found out oh i stink at this area of business that i should probably be good at i can't let people find that out about me and it's incredibly liberating when you can be honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you're not good at and to kind of swallow your pride and accept that if there are, I mean, based on this assessment and the research that went into this, they found 34 strengths, all of which are good. And yet when you get your results, they order them from one to 34. And when you read the description of your bottom five, it's hard to deny that it's like, that's not me at all. I don't think that way. I don't even think about things like that. And that is a blind spot for me from time to time. And it becomes this liberating feeling that you can accept. I am not going to be good at all of these things, but I am good at some of these things. In fact, I'm great at some of these things. And if I can just accept and give myself some grace and extend that grace to other people, that I'm going to be good. I'm going to be great at some things that you're not great at. And you're going to be great at some things that I'm not great at. And together, we that's what makes a team. And I don't need to put that kind of pressure on myself that I've got to be the kind of leader that is good at everything. And nobody can see me vulnerable. Nobody can see my weaknesses. That's not the best leadership. So once people can accept that I have these strengths high and these strengths low, and that's okay. You open yourself up to really reaching your potential as a leader in the areas where you have the most potential, because those are areas of strength. I just, I thought on that and for our listeners to reflect is whose capacity are you really holding up? Like by trying to pretend that you're perfect, not only are you limiting your own like greatness or ability, but you're putting a lid on all of your people. And there's a cost to that. Yeah. It's probably costing you a couple hundred grand, but trying to be perfect. So which do you like more? A couple hundred grand in impact, money, time, freedom, or do you want to try to look perfect? Once you give that up, yeah. that's going to be the thing that gets you to that next level. So well said. I love that. Well, and I was just going to say where people can find me. So I, my website is micalawrence.com. Lawrence is spelled funny. So people want to look up on your, on your show notes or something, how to spell that. But I'm also really uh, active on LinkedIn and a little bit on Instagram. So I love it when people connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, would love to hear from any of your listeners that have any more questions about what, how to use this tool in a leadership capacity or team capacity. Awesome, brother. I super appreciate you sharing with us today. It was so fun. Time flew. And uh, I look forward to the next time you come on the show. 
Yeah. Third time's a charm. We'll do it. We'll do a, uh, what do they call that when you score three goals in, in soccer? That's a hat trick. That probably also in a hat trick too. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a hat trick in pot in, of a podcast. See, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll stick to the sports metaphors and we can do the, the strategy stuff on your <laughs> side of things, but Sounds Micah, good. thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a blast chatting with you again. This is my pleasure. Folks, this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guest today, Michael Lawrence, please do check him out. He does spell his name weird, L-O-R-E-N-C, no E at the end. If you're interested in my StrengthsFinder results, it's at the bottom of my LinkedIn page. Reach out to Micah, reach out to myself on LinkedIn, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you want to continue the conversation, please join our Strategy and Leadership community with a link in the bio. And if you haven't yet, be sure to like and subscribe. So thanks so much again to Micah for joining us today. My name Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and until next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus, you can use the code podcast for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.